this is a little bit of a different sermon series from what uh, a normal week would be. So if you're actually visiting today or if you're newer in the last month or so, it's a good time to be here because you're going to hear a little bit more about what Revolve's all about, what we care about, what we're passionate about. You know, they say where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And by they, I mean Jesus. And so the idea here is that you can learn a lot about a family, about a person, and about a church from the way they spend their money. And so we're going to um, talk about that at the end, so don't leave halfway through or anything like that. Um, but I want to begin by just commenting on the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is basically one of those books where if you've never read it before and you read it and you're kind of like, why is this in the Bible? Because it's a little depressing. Um, the whole book of Ecclesiastes is about how when you try to do this, you think it's going to give you meaning, and it doesn't. And you say, well, I'm going to just like pursue pleasure, and then that doesn't give you meaning. And you say, well, I'm going to pursue wisdom, and that doesn't give you meaning. I'm going to pursue philanthropy. And none of these things give you meaning. And in one chapter of Ecclesiastes, the author is musing about all of these different things. And he's musing on this fact that all of our efforts pass away, and there's no remaining legacy. You know, and so we have these ideas as people. We say, I'm going to, you know, this is my legacy that I'm leaving behind. And that could be anything. It could be something that's kind of noble, like you're starting an orphanage, or it could be, you know, something that's like your, you know, your, your sweet bench press record. You know, whatever it is, you have your legacy. But the author of Ecclesiastes kind of reflects on this, and he says, there is no such thing as a legacy because no one's going to talk about how much you can squat in 150 years. That's just not going to happen. And so the things that we tend to pursue in our lives, they um, turn out to be really, really kind of bad dead ends. But that's all in the Old Covenant. When I say the Old Covenant, I mean before Christ um, came and was resurrected and started this new spiritual humanity. When the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians, when he's reflecting on his legacy... This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, for what is our hope, what is our joy, and what is our crown in which we will glory in the presence of God when he comes? In other words, when Jesus comes, what will we be proud of? You know, what will we, um, what will we toss at the feet of Jesus as our offering to him? That's what he means by our crown. And he says this, he says, is it not you? And so there's this idea in, you know, we don't have to be depressed like Ecclesiastes because we can reflect on this reality that the legacy we have is not our job, it's not our, you know, our hobby, it's not even necessarily our family. The legacy that we have is people because people live forever and the scriptures tell us that people will live forever in one of two places, right? We don't want to get too depressed for the new year. But the idea here is that people matter. They matter to God. That's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for our sins. It's why God raised him from the dead so that we could live forever, so we could live forever with him instead of living forever separated from him. And so people are an eternal legacy. You know, and I don't, I'm not trying to pick on other churches, right? I really am not. I do want to say, I want to comment that many churches focus on many different things. If you go and you look on the internet at churches all over the world, churches are going to have these little niche focuses, and they're going to have these good causes. Maybe their cause is clean water, or maybe their cause is, you know, against sex trafficking, and maybe their cause is feeding the, you know, the, the poor. And these are all good things, 
and I'm not putting any of them down, but there's only one eternal excellent cause which the Church of Christ is commanded to pursue, and that is the Great Commission. The Great Commission is Jesus, when he came back from the grave, his, uh, his followers met him on the Mount of Olives, and he says, I have all authority. I have all authority in heaven. I have all authority on earth. And therefore, from this place of all authority, what I command you is to go out into all the world and make disciples. In other words, I want more followers more followers. And he says those followers, they're going to be baptized because baptism is how we publicly identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, these followers are going to obey me. That's what they do because I have all authority. And if I have all authority, then you need to obey my word. And he says, don't worry. As you go out into all the world, I will be with you. See, that's the one cause that lasts forever. Jesus said, you'll have the poor always. It doesn't mean we should neglect them. Jesus wasn't being dismissive, but the point is that we're never going to solve poverty. We're never going to solve world hunger. We're never going to solve these things because they are part of a fallen and broken world. But in the midst of the brokenness, we can follow in the footsteps of Jesus, and we can step into the brokenness of this world, and we can bring the hope of Christ. And that's our task. So revolves mission. In other words, why do we exist at all? Our mission is to glorify God. That means we're going to give God worship. We're going to give God fame. We want to see his fame spread. We're going to glorify God by making disciples. A disciple is a follower of Christ. That means that they are putting their trust in him and they're playing follow the leader. So when he says move, they move. When he says jump, they jump. They're hearing his commands from a place of all authority and obeying him. We're going to glorify God by making disciples who make disciples who make disciples until that chain stretches from Cape May, New Jersey, to Chengdu, China, to Cairo, Egypt, to Faisalabad, Pakistan, to Leipzig, Germany, to all over the world. That's the goal. The goal is that we spread the fame of Jesus into every dark corner of the globe. And Jesus promised in Matthew 24, 14, this gospel will be proclaimed to every nation, and then the end will come. Now, we don't know how he defined nation, and we don't know when that will be, but that's what we labor towards in obedience to Christ. So what this means is that we exist to make disciples until Jesus returns or everyone hears, and that means that we worship and make God famous by spreading his name around the globe, by leading people to Christ, come and see, and then leading them on a journey of maturity so they don't just become religious do-gooders, but they become people who are sold out for Jesus Christ. People defined by love, people defined by faith, people defined by hope. And the reality is this is what every church who carries the banner church, this is what every church should labor towards, is what they should care about. It's the drum that they should be. It should define 100% of churches on the planet. Now, we know it's, it doesn't. But it should, because it is the biblical mandate, it is the biblical command, even though it's not the norm in our world. Now, just five minutes from our church's office, over by Ferry Road, like Breton, one of our elders, was talking about, just five minutes away um, is the United States Coast Guard Training Center. If you're a Coastie, can I get like a what, 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 I got at least, yeah, you, we got more than that. You guys are just shy. 
unless you're a company commander and then you're yelling at people. Okay, so we have the United States Coast Guard Training Center is just five minutes away, you know, affectionately referred to as Tracen. And if you go to the Tracen facility, you're going to see new recruits that are trained. You're going to see new recruits that are equipped. You're going to see recruits that are organized for service before being sent out, whether they're sent out you know, on a, to, to Alaska, to Sitka, Alaska, whether they're being sent out on a cutter, whether they're being sent out on a drug boat down to South America, you know, whatever they're ever going, they're being organized, equipped, and then sent out to accomplish a very specific task. And this concept is called mobilization. In a word, that's what it is. It's mobilization is preparing and organizing troops for service. And so when you think about the Great Commission and you realize, yes, there are some people who are called to minister to the poor and bring them the gospel. There are some people who are called to drill wells and use that as a vehicle for the gospel. There are some people who are called to rescue from sex trafficking and prostitution and use that as a vehicle for the gospel. So the question is, what is Revolve's role in the Great Commission? And now that we're almost 11 years into this process, I think we can say with confidence that Revolve's role in the Great Commission by God's formation and not necessarily by our formation is mobilization, mobilization, just like the Coast Guard base, that we have found ourselves in a position where God has said to us, I want you to train, I want you to equip, and I want you to organize people for disciple-making service as people who are in the army of the Lord, even though that's probably going to get you canceled if you say it too loud. See, we have the privilege of mobilizing you. You guys, if you've been around Revolve, you know that we train, we train, we train, we train, we train. We have the privilege of mobilizing churches. Just this past week, Gina and I were invited to a church up the road to present to their elders so that we could train their elder board in disciple-making principles that they could then implement in their own church, right? And we also, even though, and one of our goals, by the way, is to bring more people along, we have the privilege of training churches, pastors, and missionaries all over the world. Sometimes we get to send them out, like Christian Vance, who many of you guys know. We train to hear, to obey, to share the word, to share the gospel until everyone hears. But this is the thing. You can have that written down on paper and say, this is why we exist, this is what we're all about, and that matters for nothing. Because the culture of your congregation, or if you own a business, the culture of your business, it doesn't matter what's written down on paper, your culture of your group, of your organization, is going to trump what you have written down on paper every day of the week. And the question is, what determines culture? You think about your home. What is the culture of your home? And what determines the culture of your home are your family's habits. Your family's habits. And it's the same way with the church. It's the same way with a business. The culture of your organization is molded by your habits. Healthy habits lead to healthy churches. If you want a culture that mobilizes healthy disciples, then that means that all of the habits that are formed spiritually in a community have to push towards that end. Are you guys following me? The power of habits, important. Raising your kids, right? You want them to uh, make progress. You want them to, to learn to brush their teeth before they leave the house. These are all habits, habits, habits. And so it's about habits. And so there are a couple core habits, and some of this is going to be a refresher for those of you who went through the updated hub 
um, disciple training program. But there are a couple habits which should be in the heart of every disciple on the planet. And these are the things that we consider to be the bedrock of what we do. The first thing is this, the habit of abiding. You know, over the summer, we did a sermon series on John chapter 15, launching out of that on the idea of abiding. Abiding meaning staying close to Jesus. Jesus says in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. Therefore, stay close to me. Abide with me. Remain with me. Marinate in my presence. And Jesus promises in John 15, if you do that, you're going to overflow with joy. You're going to see answers to prayer. And you're going to see the word of God dwell richly in you. And he's going to work through you. You're going to bear fruit. And it's not going to be fruit that's pathetic and lame. It's going to be fruit that remains. It's going to be fruit that is encouraging and powerful. And so we talked about this idea of marinating in the presence of God, spending meaningful time in the Word, spending meaningful time in prayer, having the result of all of those things that result in all those things which I just mentioned. You see, it's important when we think about wanting healthy disciples that you cannot overstate the importance of abiding. You see, we aren't just interested in converts right? We're not trying to be, no one wants to be like Papa was a rolling stone. Like we're just going to go around, we're going to try to make a bunch of converts and then just ignore them and let them flounder. No, we want to see people grow into healthy, mature disciples, just like Paul talks about in the book of Colossians. And so in, in 2022, we offered all kinds of opportunities for you to grow in the spiritual disciplines. We did this sermon series on abiding. We had regular prayer meetings. We had trainings. We had corporate fasts. We had discipleship groups who were doing reading plans together. There was all kinds of things happening. I have no guarantee that you participated in any of it, but you can't be like Cousin Eddie and wake up with your head sewn to the carpet, right, and be like, well, I didn't know that was going on. It was going on. And if you want to be a trip to, equipped to read the Word and to engage in prayer and to engage with the Bible so that you can have an actual victorious Christian life instead of a life where you feel like you're constantly trapped in drudgery and defeat, the power is available to you in the Holy Spirit inside you if you're a follower of Christ. But the bridge is abiding. Genuine abiding, not religious checkbox abiding. And so we continued to offer courses and trainings last year, and we're going to continue to do that this year because we believe abiding is the single most important thing that you personally can do for your life. And so my challenge to you this year, start reading the Word. Don't be like, I'm going to read the Bible in 90 days. Don't do that, okay? Start reading the Word. Pick a time. It's going to be 7 a.m. Pick a place at my kitchen table and what am I going to read? Give a very specific agenda. I'm going to read the Gospel of Mark one chapter a day at 7 a.m. while I drink my cup of coffee instead of browsing the news on my phone. And just start doing it. Itty bitty bites. Second habit, which all disciples have to have, which is important if you're going to develop a uh, pattern and a, and a culture, rather, of healthy discipleship that's mobilizing others, is building relationships. Seems a little self-explanatory, but it's really hard to make a disciple or be a disciple if you are a hermit, because legacy, the legacy that we leave is people, and so we need to be constantly engaging with people. Paul said that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation, and part of that 
DNA of being a new creation is being an ambassador. And I know that for a lot of you guys are young, when you hear the word ambassador, you just think of TikTok. But for those of us who are over the age of 40, we know that ambassadors actually represent foreign countries, okay? And they don't represent shampoo, okay? And so Paul says that you are an ambassador of Christ. In other words, you come from the kingdom of God and you go to the kingdom of Satan and you represent the kingdom's interests in this dark, terrible place. It would be like if you were an ambassador from the United States and you have to go to Tehran, Iran, and that's where you are sent, okay? That's the picture that we have in the scriptures sent into the kingdom of Satan from the kingdom of Christ. And so for you, I want you to realize that as as an ambassador of Christ, not me, but all of us, all of us are ambassadors of Christ, you are sent to your social circles, That means you're sent to the people who live on your block. You're sent to the people who work with you. You're sent to the people who they're part of your immediate family, who you were raised with, right, even if they don't know the Lord. You were sent to the people who are the parents on your kids' soccer teams. You are sent to these places, and we need to embrace this mindset that I am sent as an ambassador. So the question is, well, whose job is it to reach the soccer team? Well, who is the ambassador that Christ has sent to the soccer team. And so you realize if you're going to be an ambassador, then that means every circle that you're sent to, I work out of this gym, you know, my kids go to this school, every circle you go to, you go to as an ambassador. And as an ambassador, I need to intentionally build relationships with the people in this circle for one of two purposes. Because there's only two types of people in the world. There's people who are lost and do not yet know Jesus Christ. And there's people who do know Jesus Christ. And so as I go into this this soccer team, and I engage with these parents, I'm, I'm asking myself, does this person need to hear about Jesus, or is this person a believer who needs to be mobilized so that they can function as an ambassador in their social circles? And if I mobilize them correctly, then when they mobilize this person, this person's going to step into their social circles, and they're going to mobilize their social circle, and that's called multiplicative expansion of the church which is how the early church has always worked and how God has preserved his church over the generations is everyone picking up the baton and running with it. And it's only a modern phenomenon that we rely on superstars because we love celebrities. But that's not how it works. This is the meek shall inherit the earth. This is the dust of the earth. This is the other guys, right? That's who Jesus is has chosen to use. And so you are sent out, and as an ambassador, that means you evangelize, you share the good news. All evangelize means is you share good news. You share good news. You encourage believers. You pray with people. You train them if there's something that you can pass on. And so this year, I would challenge you to do this. Write down your social circles and start praying over them. Just one a day. Today, I'm going to pray over my neighborhood. Tomorrow, I'm going to pray over my work. I interact with these four people at my work. I'm going to pray for them. Start praying over your social circles and see what God does. Because if you're abiding on a daily basis in the Word and in prayer, and you're praying over your social circles, where you shop, where you exercise, where you, where you, where you, you should have confidence that God is going to work. And if all of us only did those two things, three things, right? Prayed, 
read the word and were intentional with our social circles, we would come back here in six months and every single person in this room would have a story of how God used them. Because it really is that simple on the most basic level. The third habit is this, connecting intentionally in conversation. Um, if you read in the, um, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, Jesus said, going, disciple nations. That word go, it's a participle that is like an imperative participle. So it translated as a command, go and disciple nations. But going is a participle. And, partic and participles in, 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 in grammar, they modify a verb. Doug's looking at me like, a participle? <laughs> Participles modify the verb. And so in other words, if the verb is disciple nations, make disciples, then how do you do it? One of the things you do is you do it as you're going, as you're going. Jesus said, going disciples, going disciple nations. And so it would be accurate to state that you should be making disciples as you go about your everyday daily life as ambassadors. If you want to kind of stick in like the ambassador framework, and if you've been watching Jack Ryan on Amazon Prime, then think about it from this perspective. You are going into enemy territory, building relationships to develop assets who are you are trying to turn against their kingdom. That's what you're doing. You're going out into the world. You want to think of yourself as a spy? You'd be my guest, okay? You're going out as a spy, okay? You can live your, your dreams come true. All the men are like, yeah. You can, you can be a spy, and you have to turn assets against the kingdom of Satan, and you have to bring them to your side, right, to the kingdom of Christ. And so we go out, and we have intentional conversations. This is what I want you to realize. Evangelism, evangelism does not primarily happen here. It does not primarily happen here. Um, now, I'm not putting Billy Graham down, but what we did was we, through a, something called reductionism, we reduced the gospel to something that I just say from the pulpit and invite you to. That did not exist before Billy Graham, by the way. And so that's what we do. We say, this is the gospel. Will you receive it? But that's a total modern concept. The real truth that we see in the scriptures and throughout history is this idea of God's people going, and as they're going, they're telling people about the hope that they have. People are experiencing the love that they have. They're telling them about the faith that they have. They're talking about what Jesus accomplished on the cross, and they're pointing to him, and people are coming to believe. You see, evangelism doesn't only happen on a Sunday service, because technically the Sunday service is for the equipping of the saints, but it happens not just at outreach events, not just at bonfire chats at camp, but it happens as God's people from a place of overflow because they're abiding. They go as ambassadors into where they live, work, learn, and play, and they are overflowing with the, God, with the Word of God that is in them, and it is overflowing into their conversations. And so the people who interact with them realize there's something different about you because you used to be a miserable curmudgeon, and now you're different. And I remember you in high school. And if, since we live in Cape May, a lot of people remember you from high school, right? And so we have this concept of going out and just talking. Do you know the number one way, this is a proven fact, the number one way that missionaries find new contacts who are ready to hear the gospel and to learn more about Jesus is by living what we would call a hear, obey, and share lifestyle. In other words, 
God tells me to love my neighbor, and I'm going about my life, and my neighbor needs help, and I help my neighbor, and my neighbor says, why are you helping me? And I say, well, Jesus says to love your neighbor. That's a hear, obey, and share lifestyle. I heard, I obeyed, I shared. It's the number one way the people who you support financially, it's the number one way they find contacts. It's not because the people who you support financially have magic like Jesus bullets and they just know what they're doing. No, they're doing what we should be doing, hearing, obeying, and sharing. And so this is the idea. You're sent out as an ambassador. You need to evangelize. You need to disciple. You need to bring the gospel. And you do these things as you simply go out and you're overflowing with the word of God and you share it with other people. And so my challenge to you is this. Be aware of how intentional your conversations with others are. Do you mostly talk about the weather, the eagles, the bachelor? Do you encourage believers and speak hope and truth? Do you encourage those who don't know Christ, not in a beat them over the head kind of way, but a come and see, come and see, come and see what Jesus claims. See for yourself. Which leads us to the fourth habit, the habit of discovering God's Word. At Revolve, we are convinced that the Word does the work. And the best thing that we can do is get you into the Word. That's what I believe. I don't believe it's my job to twist your arm and you're like, become a Christian. And like knee you in the chest until you submit. I'm sorry, Pastor Bill, I'll be a Christian. That's not my goal, right? I'd lose. Let's be honest. I'm a pastor, okay? And so the goal is I want to put you in front of the Word of God because I believe Jesus doesn't need me as his defense attorney. And I believe that if you encounter the Word of God, the Holy Spirit is going to open up your eyes. And I don't need to convince you. Jesus says, nobody comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And so all I need to do is ask you to please encounter the Word of God and give it a chance to let God speak to you. And I believe with confidence that God will speak to you because there's a peculiar glory about the Word of God which speaks. And so within our culture, we rely on spoon-fed teachings about God rather than ever learning to self-feed and to point others towards the banquet table of God that is before us in the Word. You know, when you listen to a sermon like you're doing right now, you're going to leave and you're going to retain less than 20%. But I'm going to retain more than 95%. Why do you think that is? Because I said it, I passed it on. I heard it, I thought about it, I passed it on. If you read the word of God, if you obey it, if you try to apply it, and if you pass it on to others, you retain 95% of what you read. But if you just listen to the word of God while you're driving to work and do nothing, you'll forget it by mid-morning break. It's a clinical fact. That's why we hear, obey, and share. And that's why we constantly go to the word See, the vast majority of our time and energy as elders is spent on equipping people, equipping you with the skills necessary to encounter the Word. So when we do an Old Testament survey, it's not just because we want you to be able to sit around like with a little tweed jacket and a little bubble pipe. We want you to actually be able to say, now when I read the book of Obadiah, I know what it's about. Now when I open up the book of 1 Samuel, I know what to expect. So I can get more out of my Bible reading because I've gone through this Old Testament survey course. In other words, everything is about equipping, 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 equipping. The same way that if you go to the Coast Guard base, they're not just going to have a basket weaving course for fun. Because everything they want to train you is going to be about equipping you for what you might need to do. I mean, is there a basket weaving? Maybe there's, 
This is not like a desert island basket weaving course. You never know. It's a strange time we live in. So this is your challenge for the year. Focus on the Word of God more than. That's all I'm going to say. Focus on the God, Word of God more than. Focus on the Word of God more than your social media. If you spend one hour a day looking at your social media, you better be spending a minimum of one hour a day in the Word of God. Probably two, because you have to undo all the crap you put into your brain. Okay? That's what I'm saying. And I'm not saying it as a joke. I'm saying it legit. Okay? This is like hit you in the chest with his knee, Billy. Okay? You have to focus on the Word of God more than, more than devotionals, more than Facebook, more than the news, more than your text messages, more than your screen time, more than Sports Center, more than the whatever. You have to focus on the Word of God more. And that leads to the final habit, the habit of equipping and empowering other people. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul said, What you heard from me in the presence of others, entrust to faithful people who will teach others also. That's multiplicative growth. It's multiplicative methods. It's passing on what we have heard, what we've received. We're passing it on to others who will pass it on. Now, Paul was a gifted and talented missionary, right? All of us would say Paul was a beast. Like, not many of us have been, like, shipwrecked and beaten with rods and stoned a few times with rocks, okay? Not many of us have been in that world, all right? None of us have been in that world. But even Paul, with all of his missionary abilities and expertise, Paul decides this— I cannot rely on me to fulfill the Great Commission, and the most effective and efficient thing that I can do is equip others. And this is consistent with all the Scripture because the first command in Genesis chapter 1 is to be fruitful and multiply. And then Jesus spiritually reaffirms this in Matthew 28 when he says, go and make disciples. Essentially, he's saying spiritually, be fruitful and multiply. And so Paul labors to mature everyone in Christ to maturity, which is Colossians 1.28, and then he develops them as such. And so we see beyond the basics of discipleship, there's leadership development, you know, theological understanding, clarity and understanding God's calling, ministry competence, shaping your character in accordance with the gospel. These things continue beyond the basics of discipleship. And eventually, we should be able to have these conversations and have these equipping moments with people through those things. But these things take time, and they take relationships. Um, they, are, they don't form overnight, especially things like character. But the point is this. What am I getting at? We don't just want you to be smart. We want you to be capable. And we don't just want you to be capable. We want you to have character. Because nobody needs an extra dingus walking around, okay? And so we bring, go back full circle that the importance of abiding in prayer, abiding in the word, building relationships from a place of love, having intentional conversations, pointing those people to the word of God so they can read and discover for themselves how wonderful Jesus Christ is, and then equipping them to do the same thing that we did with them so that it can continue in perpetuity and on and on and on and on and on. That's the goal. So this year, challenge, duckling discipleship. No matter where you go in the world and you see a group of ducks, they're following the mommy and they're all in a line. And a lot of us picture leadership like, uh, like one person and then a row. And then we're all just like following, you know, the one person. 
in military formation. But really, it's like a group of ducklings. That you might say, Bill, I've only been a believer for three months. Well, you know more than someone who's not a believer. I'm not asking you to preach next week. I'm saying, Jesus says, this is what I've given you, and how can you pass on what you know? No one's asking you to pass on what you don't know. But if you know how to read the Word, then you can teach someone else to read the Word. If you know how to do a Discovery Bible study, you can teach someone who doesn't know how to do the Discovery Bible study the Discovery Bible study. If you've read John 1 and understand even a little bit of it, you know more than someone who's never read John 1. And so we're not asking you to be a professor. We're saying, freely you have received, freely give to one another. That's all we're asking. And so I hope that one of these habits resonated with you. See, because Revolve exists to glorify God by making disciples who make disciples, and we think this happens through mobilization, and we think mobilization is intrinsically connected to habits that continue and continue and continue and continue. And so from a place of deep abiding, we build relationships, and then we have intentional conversations, and then as we find people who are open to the Lord or open to being discipled, then we point them to the Word of God, and then as they grow, we teach them to do the same so everybody's continuing in this circle. You guys following me? Yeah? All right, now we're going to talk about money. Five minutes, right? Bear with me. Um, in the next few weeks, we're going to send out a comprehensive report, but until we get our 2022 audit finalized, I can't send it out. But I have all of the stuff that you guys actually care about, which is the giving, right? Can I get an amen? Woohoo! Okay, so um, all of the internal auditing, you got to wait a few weeks. We'll send out like a really lengthy 12-page PDF for you guys to read. I'm sure three of you will read it. Just know that it took me 40 hours to do, okay? Um, but we'll, you're yeah, still not going to get, no one's still going to read it, okay? But I will tell you this. This is what I want you to know. In all of 2022, we received as a congregation, for courtesy of your gifts and our gifts, $485,000. To $485,215. That's how much we received from January to the end of the year, okay? After buying everybody on staff a Lamborghini, we were left with... No, just kidding. Now, internally... Now, for those of you who are new to church, this probably won't be very meaningful. But I will tell you this. The average church in the United States gives 2%. Okay? That's the average. Okay? And for those of you who grew up in certain denominations, you're like, I'm not giving to church because I don't trust churches. That's why we're very glass door with these things. Okay, in terms of internal money, internal money that was spent at Revolve, that's three staff. That's $580 a week for here. That's $2,000 a month for our office space. That's buying toner. It's paying for electric. It's $600 a year for the website. It's $1,500 a year for Right Now Media, which no one uses, and on and on and on, okay? And so all of these different things, internal money spent total, is, including savings, is $216,941. So just under $217,000 it takes to run everything. You guys following me? That means, okay, that in 2000, it's actually funny, it's to the dollar. In 2022, Revolve gave away $270,000. That's 56% 56 of all money 
went out. Now, I want to tell you real rapid fire before I get beat up by Ryan Pittman because he had 20 tweens. Um, I want to tell you real rapid fire where some of that money went. Christian and Elaine Vance, they're in New York City. They're working among unreached people groups. An unreached people group is a group of people, for example, a type of Muslim from Saudi Arabia who has no access to the gospel. If you don't go to them, they have no way of learning about Jesus Christ, and there's no way that it can continue unless somebody goes to them. There's four billion people in the world who have zero access to the gospel. So we give the lion's share of all of our money to unreached people groups because that's what we care about. Because if you knew there's a gushing wound there, and this is pretty much okay, why would you give all your money here when there's a gushing wound there? And so we give almost all of our money to unreached people groups. That's uh, the 1040 window. That's North Africa, the Middle East, Central Asia, South Asia, China. That's Iraq, Iran. That's these types of areas. Okay, so the Vances, we gave the Vances $44,000 in 2022. In terms of local regional gifts, that's local help. This isn't UPG help, $24,000. Uh, Czech Republic, which is church planting and theological education, that's uh, Vladja and it's Marek. It's these guys who have been laboring in hard post-communist soil faithfully for years and years and years. Many of you have heard Steve, one of our elders, talk about that. We sent uh, $36,000 to them. We have refugee workers, we have Arab speakers, and we have an Afghan, an Afghan who speaks Persian um, in Germany working with refugees. Those two workers primarily received $18,000 in 2022 as they labor among refugees who came out of Syria, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, and parts of Africa, and then come through the refugee highway to Germany and France and Sweden, and they're working with church planting and leadership development there. In Central Asia, which we cannot reveal the locations, we have a couple workers who we've been partnering with in areas where it's illegal to be a missionary, one national and one missionary. These are guys who are both committed to church planting. To give you an idea, the one guy we support, who we'll call him Jorge, um, because that's his name, We'll call him Jorge, um, and Jorge is in a town of a few million, and there's 12 believers in the city, and 10 of them are workers, missionaries. It's two local believers in a city of a few million, okay? He sends me messages. He says, they don't, we don't have electricity this week because they cut it off to save money, and he shows me that he's trying to cook with olive oil, but it's frozen like ice. It's crazy, okay? Um, Southeast Asia, we have, there's our largest Muslim nation in the world. We'll just leave it at that. Um, Southeast Asia, we gave $31,600 this year towards leadership development, church planning, missionary work. In terms of one-time donations, these are people who we don't regularly support. Some of you guys, for example, know Drew. You know, we gave Drew $7,000 to finish the rest of his costs for YWAM. So in terms of one-time donations in this area, we gave $65,000 away. And then we set aside for 2023 $26,122 for unexpected things that will come up with unreached people groups. And so in 2022, we gave $270,000 towards our missionaries 
who are working to plant churches in the hardest places on the globe. Guys, that includes the fact that you guys don't even know, but you've been smuggling Bibles into Iran in this past year. Okay, crazy stuff that the Lord has done because of your faithfulness. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Um, I never thought we would give more than 50%. When I crunched the numbers, Gina said, maybe you should tone it down. <laughs> I mean, we're joking. But the truth is, I never expected that we would give more than 50%. That's insane, 56%. Let's push forward in obedience to Christ. Um, you know, we're running a little late, so I think, do we have time for the last song? What do you think, David? You said you want to go by Davy in the new year, right? All right, yeah, look, how about I pray so you guys can go get your kids? Because Ryan's got a long wingspan. He's like 6'2 or something like that. Let's pray. I hope you guys are encouraged by what the Lord is doing. My hope is to drag you guys on some of these trips this coming year, among other trips. But if you're not doing it here, then don't expect you can coach someone in Qatar. You follow me? It's a lie if you think I'm going to get off the plane and the Holy Spirit lightning bolt's going to hit me and all of a sudden I'm going to become the Apostle Paul. If you're not obedient in Cape May, you're not going to be obedient in Germany. All right? So let that be a word of encouragement. Father God, we uh, come to you thankful. We're a thankful people. Lord, we know that uh, we're just a small little church. Um, but Lord, thank you that you've given us a footprint that is disproportionate to who we are. I thank you that we're all on the same page. I thank you that, you know, people don't come up and yell at me because we're giving money to reach Muslims. God, I pray that you would use our giving to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Pray that you'd use our prayers to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Pray that you'd use our obedience to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. God, I pray that you would do the miraculous through this little church family. God, we pray for the Middle East. God, we pray for the Middle East. We pray for the over one billion Muslims in the world who will be born, live, and die, and never know that the God who created them loves them, and all they will know is a religion of fear. God, would you break our hearts to the point of weeping for them? And God, would you break our hearts for our community in Cape May as well? Would you open up our eyes to see that although there might be big houses, there's destitute hearts and broken families? God, I pray that we would know that we are ambassadors sent out to a world that is desperate for good news. You've equipped us with your Holy Spirit, with your word, and with prayer. Now we pray that you would help us to live this out, and we'd watch what you do. In your name we pray. Amen.